0: Welcome to Altamar, where every other Friday, Peter and I navigate the high seas of global politics. I'm Mooney Jensen.
1: And I'm Peter Schechter. Mooney, after a total reign of 15 years, Benjamin Netanyahu is no longer the prime minister of Israel. It's almost hard to believe and get your head around that. He's been such a fixture in this country's politics seemingly unbeatable. It doesn't matter whether he had charges of corruption or he had this role in deeply polarizing Israeli society. After four elections, he was toppled by what, I don't know how to describe it other than to say a pretzel coalition with parties that range from the left to the right. There's even an Islamist Arab party mixed in. It's such a mix of a coalition and The news creates a sense of relief, but also a great deal of uncertainty. And today we're going to try to understand what this new government means for Israel, a country I've spent a lot of time visiting, working, and living, and where I have family and friends. And we'll also discuss why did Bibi fall and what this transition means for Israelis, for the Middle East, and for the world. We're going to be joined later on by our friend Gil Tamari, For years, Gil has been the Washington bureau chief for Israel's Channel 13, and now he's on his way back to Tel Aviv to become News 13's chief editor and commentator. Gil has joined us on two previous occasions in the last couple of years. One of the episodes was called Israel's Endless Elections, and the other one was called Bye Bye Bibi. But... This was a year ago, so you can imagine that this is not the first time that we're talking about Netanyahu's downfall, and yet here we are, it actually happened.
0: And he's gone down kicking and screaming. He's refused to give up his position of power, holding on really tightly. He's using Trumpian claims of election fraud, warnings of the dark presence of the deep state, and calling for protesters to fill the streets to fuel his claim. There's also a big violence risk associated to those claims. And he and his supporters have launched relentless attacks on the new government, calling former right-wing allies traitors, accusing them of being both far-left and bending to Arab interest. All this sounds familiar, doesn't it? And let's not also forget that Bibi remains the leader of his Likud party and remains a force to be reckoned with in Israeli politics. So he's not going anywhere, most likely. The most interesting angle, however, in the storyline is the very strange hodgepodge of politicians that have managed to execute this transition. And the question, of course, of how much they can actually deliver on their multiple promises of transformation. It's not just enough to oust Bibi. And let's take a Look, so the two leaders, Naftali Bennett and Yair Lapid, could not be possibly more different from each other. So the first one is an entrepreneurial, religious U.S. dual national who was defense minister, now leads a right-wing group called Yamina. The other is a former TV anchor turned secular opposition politician, and his party, Yashatid, a third coalition member, this is probably the most unlikely, is a... Tiny Arab Islamist group, and there's five more parties from all over the political spectrum completing this fragile team. With some of them having very opposing views on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, on the role of religion in the state, like very important issues, they have many discrepancies. But all of them are united by the common purpose to oust Bibi Netanyahu, and they have succeeded. The coalition even includes a strange plan to alternate prime ministers at midpoint in the government term. It's unclear whether they can get this done or with if, or whether they can create a compelling agenda of change it is definitely an interesting time in israel
1: israel is such a divided country i mean much like so many other countries in the west i mean it's so polarized and along so many issues the power of religious parties, the problems in the economy, jobless rates among youth, how to live side by side with the Palestinians, Gaza, Iran, Lebanon, Syria, and the list just goes on and on. And importantly, this is an inflection moment for Israel's image all over the world. And millions of younger people in the West have taken such a strong stance lately against Israel in general and against Netanyahu in particular. And Tea, this new government may be able to change the growing sense of distance between Israel and so many young people in the world. Do you think it will?
2: I'm Tea Ivanovich, and this is Tea's Take, where we take a look at social justice and youth issues. So, wow, what a what a big moment. Um, I really want to take a look at the changes in the polarization when it comes to Jewish youth, especially American Jews. Netanyahu himself spent some of his own youth in the US. And since he took office in 2009, support for Israel amongst American Jews has become an increasingly polarizing issue. That happened most noticeably during the Trump administration, where the strong relationship between Netanyahu and Trump caused this distancing from liberal Jewish constituencies and, in particular, Jewish youth. So what's most interesting to me is that polls are showing young American Jewish adults seem to be every bit as tied to their religious and cultural traditions, yet their connection to Israel is widening. And this decline seems to be very much to have occurred in tandem with Netanyahu's policies. Two-thirds of Jews aged 65 and older say that they are emotionally attached to Israel, compared with less than half of those under 30. Young American Jews are also less likely to say they have a lot or some in common with Jews in Israel. There's a lot of Jewish Americans that identify as Democrats or lean towards the Democratic Party, 7 in 10, in fact— And more than half of them gave negative ratings to their own government, to um, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. So my question is, can the new government revert this decline? So I'm really looking forward to your conversation with Gil Tamari, Peter, and Muni. And I'm very interested to hear his thoughts on how American Jewish youth view Israel these days and post-BB. And listeners, I really want to hear what you think. Let us know by tweeting at Altamar Podcast.
1: we will definitely ask him this because I think it's a key issue for U.S.-Israel relations. And we're so pleased to welcome Gil Tamari, a true expert and a sophisticated journalist. Gil is, until August, the Washington bureau chief for Israel's Channel 13 News and is one of Israel's top news reporter. He's currently moving back to Israel to become the chief international editor for News 13. Gil has worked for Israel Broadcasting Authority, Israel Public Radio, and is anchor and chief editor of Good Morning Israel. Gil covers a wide range of Middle East issues and conducts exclusive interviews from the United States. During his career, Gil Tamari has interviewed the Clintons, the Bushes, President Obama, as well as so many of Israel's prime ministers. Now, Gil, this may be your last visit as the Washington correspondent to Altamar, but we want to continue bugging you for your words of wisdom when you're in Tel Aviv. So Gil, welcome back to Altamar.
3: You are more than welcome to do it. And uh, I'm very happy to be
1: with you again, Mooney and Peter. So I, I guess the first question I have is, it all happened in the end so fast because after so many elections and he was kept on hanging on and somehow he was still the prime minister And now it just happens so quickly. How how did Bibi's end occur this fast?
3: I think uh, I still remember the first time you hosted me on your podcast a bit uh, over two years ago, I think, just before the first election cycle we had in Israel. Uh, We didn't know then that Israel will be dragged by Netanyahu into four consecutive election cycles in these two years, crazy two years that we had. So in this respect, Israel now, uh, Peter and Muni, is better off uh, without Netanyahu because it is very clear for the last two years that even though Netanyahu enjoyed the highest support in the Israeli political system, and even though he's uh, the head of the largest party by far uh, in Israel, He cannot. He simply cannot have a majority in the Knesset. And the only reason he cannot have a majority is not due to uh, uh, ideological matters, uh, uh, but because of his personality. He cheated and lied to so many politicians uh, that now uh, no one actually believes him. Uh, No one believes his promises. Peter and Mooney, he will promise you the moon and the stars. And believe me, I spoke with him many times. He is very convincing. He is very convincing, but he will never deliver unless it is in his own benefit and his own uh, favor. And that is the end of Benjamin Netanyahu. That is the only reason uh, we saw uh, we see him right now ousted uh, from uh, from the Israeli uh, prime ministry.
1: So, uh, you know, I guess the second question on everybody's mind after him being gone is what is this new coalition i you know it just earlier in the podcast i called it a pretzel government i mean it goes in curves and in to the left and to the right and so is it going to be able to govern will it crumble is it going to turn on itself i mean what 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 How does this coalition survive? This is uh,
3: the million shekel questions. Uh, This new government is made of parties that would never dream to bend together in the same government. Think about it. The extreme right with the extreme left. And for the first time ever, an Arab party, and even more than that, an Islamist party, all supporting the same government coalition. What unites all of them is the anti-Bibi agenda, or in other words, the rationale or the desire to clean the toxic political environment that Netanyahu created in his 12 long years in power to stop the incitement, the delegitimization campaign that he's doing for certain groups and certain mechanisms and the organizations in the Israeli society and in the Israeli democracy uh, that Bibi is conducting in order to uh, actually fortify his political power. But can they survive? That's the million shekel question. I don't have a crystal ball in front of me, at least I don't see one.
0: So instead of a crystal ball, Gil, tell us a little more. Give us a little more color about Naftali Bennett and Yair Lapid, the two new leaders of this very unlikely government.
3: Muni, in the coming period, everyone, of course, will be talking about Naftali Bennett, the new prime minister. But the more important guy to know as of right now is the other guy that you mentioned, Yair Lapid, because Yair Lapid enabled. Uh, Naftali Bennett to become Israel uh, uh, Prime Minister, and according to the agreement between uh, these two guys, uh, he is going to be Israel prime minister in two years. So actually, if everything works out the way it planned, they will divide the four-year terms equally between the two of them. So Yair Lapid is the head of the second largest party in Israel. This is a centrist party. Uh, its uh, official name is Yeshatid. Uh, Lapid used to be an anchorman in the Friday night news show of one of the Israeli channels. He is the son of the uh, famous uh, uh, right-wing journalist that became a centrist and anti-religious politician about three uh, decades ago, uh, Tommy Lapid. And the Yael Lapid agenda, like his father' agenda before him, is a secular agenda and liberal when it comes to the daily life in Israel, but is more hawkish when, uh, uh, when it comes to, for instance, the Palestinian issue. He doesn't rule out the establishment of a Palestinian state, for instance, uh, but is also saying that uh, he will never accept the, the division of uh, Jerusalem. Uh, the other guy, uh, Naftali Bennett, the new prime minister, is much more of a right-winger. Actually, if you compare him even to Netanyahu ideology, Netanyahu is the lefty uh, between them two. He's the moderate guy between these two. He is religious Jew, but he's not a Haredi. He's not ultra-orthodox. He's against the two-state solution. He's for annexation of territories which are not dense with Palestinian population. And uh, he suggests giving uh, autonomy to other areas that are more dense, but 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 he's saying that he will never accept a Palestinian state under uh, no circumstances.
0: So they couldn't be more different, and we haven't even started talking about the other parties in the coalition. So how and who will be able to measure the success of this government? What, what does success look like? And what would you look for to see if this very strange experiment is working?
3: Great question. Success metrics in the post-Netanyahu era actually are very modest and very simple. I'll give you some examples. Uh, can the new leaders uh, calm the toxic environment that Netanyahu injected For 12 years into the Israeli society? Can right wingers and left wingers work together and not see each other as enemies? Can they advance together needed reforms in Israel? Economic reform, social reform, educational reform, infrastructure reform, justice reform, and all the things that Netanyahu didn't bother to do. Another important measure will be will the new government be able to last for four years? Will they honor? the rotation agreement uh, that uh, the two leaders uh, signed uh, that in two years, Yair Lapid will become Israel's prime minister.
1: You know, you mentioned all of these problems. I mean, uh, Israel is a bitterly, bitterly divided society, much, much like America is bitterly divided. And, you know, the division in Israel is about religion, it's about politics, it's about security issues, it's about economic difficulties, and in particular economic difficulties for young people And all of this, these problems seem to have eroded confidence in a lot of governing institutions and even eroded confidence in an institution that all Israelis used to trust, which is like is the Israeli army. So how how do you solve some of the problems that you mentioned?
3: First of all, the Israeli society must have a healing process. And this is a major thing that this new government is talking about. It calling itself the change government, and it is talking about a, a healing process. And you start the healing with the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that the Labour Party, together with Meretz, the most left liberal party in Israel, the Islamist Party, the center of the political map, which is represented by Yair Lapid and Benny Gantz, and the most strong wing parties of the one of Gideon Saar, the second of Avigdor Lieberman, and the third one of Naftali Bennett, are going to work together to establish the, those goals. Uh, the majority of the Israelis, uh, uh, Peter, understand that Something very wrong has happened to their society in recent years, and they want to see change. And they will support such a change if the new government will present it, as they are promising
1: to do. Gil, you've mentioned this Islamist party a a number of times, and this is one of the most fascinating parts. And they are now part of the ruling government and supporting the government in parliament. It's a game changer, but. Why did the government agree to have an Arab party opening itself to accusations of the enemy being within? And then the other question is, why did the Islamist party agree to support this government?
3: The answer for your first question is Bibi, and I'll explain in a second. Regarding the second question, you mentioned that they are supporting the government in the parliament, and it's important to mention that they are not going to actually sit in the government. Instead, they would rather have all the crucial positions in the parliament. Uh, those are the chairs of all the committees and the subcommittees, like the internal committee, for instance, that are related to their issues, Uh, but nevertheless, this is uh, uh, one of the most important things that this government is bringing, and it didn't happen overnight. Uh, Mansour Abbas, uh, the head of the Islamist party, is quite a character. He's a dentist by profession, and he's a very practical guy, and for the first time ever, the Arab minority in Israel, has a leader that leaves ideology aside and looks where he can advance the interest and the needs of his constituency. Uh, up until now, Arab parties uh, held into certain slogans and principles, but never Came to uh, realize that sometimes you need to hold your breath, take uh, 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 the plunge, and start working from within the government to improve the livelihood of the Arab population, which is far behind the Jewish population. Uh, So you can only do this, of course, from inside, from a position of power and authority in the government, and not from the opposition's uh, far benches in the parliament. And this is uh, the way. that these changes happened. And by the way, Abbas already started in the last Netanyahu government to work with Netanyahu and to give practical solution to the daily problems of our population, especially in the Negev. And uh, he first uh, dealt with Bibi. He tried to be part of Bibi coalition, but uh, Bibi was his uh, first best. Uh, But when it didn't work, when Bibi wasn't able to form the government, he went with Bibi's list of promises to Yair Lapid and to Bennett and got from them exactly the same thing that Bibi was willing to give him.
0: Gil, there are a lot of references in the U.S. media and in the not U.S. media of comparisons between BB and Trump. Is this an, an accurate comparison or is it more of a stereotype? And specifically, do you expect BB to kind of fade into the sunset or continue fighting for and holding some power?
3: Netanyahu is like Trump, but on steroids. That's what the American media is not telling you. In the last five years, I don't remember even one trick from the Trump playbook that Bibi didn't implement in one way or another in Israel. The difference is that Bibi is much more sophisticated than Trump. Uh, His latest trick was to claim, of course, that the election was stolen from him. Same words that uh, we still hear from Trump. Uh, Bibi spoke in a way that was very inflammatory, very divisive. And many were afraid that in the last week, when he said those things in such a rhetoric, that uh, we will actually see in Israel a January 6th moment. Uh, And it was frightening at some point. As for the question, if he's going to uh, fade into the sunset, of course not. He will stay as the opposition leader. He needs this political platform because, uh, remember, he still has to deal with uh, his uh, corruption trials. And we will see him, uh, uh, he will criticize every move of the new government. And will probably act the same way he did many years ago during the Rabin era as the head of the opposition back then when he took a major part in the anti-Rabin campaign. And uh, we all remember how the Rabin story ended uh, with the political assassination.
0: So he has been in power through the last three U.S. presidents and a fourth before. How will this change in leadership impact the U.S.-Israel relationship, especially now that it's turned into a more partisan relationship between the Republicans and Trump?
3: It's not hard to say that now Israel and the U.S. administration are on the brink of a new era, uh, Naftali Bennett and Yair Lapid will be given a clean slate from the Biden administration. Uh, Bennett is going to be invited soon to the White House uh, and uh, getting here uh, uh, the full treatment. Uh, Yair Lapid, uh, as the foreign minister, will be invited to Washington a little bit later. I think the Biden administration will try as much as it can not to pressure uh, the new government. Of course, they will not welcome, for instance, massive building in the West Bank. I'm not sure that this government is going to do such a thing, but they won't seek any major conflicts with Israel. They are very happy that Bibi is gone. And actually, one of the goals of the new government is to build up again what you mentioned the bipartisan support for Israel that Bibi and Trump did everything possible to erode.
1: You know, the other thing that is worrisome about the future of US Israeli relations is the increasing distance between Israel. And younger American Jews and our colleague, Thea, commented on this growing estrangement that so many young American Jews feel towards Israel. I mean, obviously, that is somewhat Netanyahu related, but I presume it's much more deep seated and structural.
3: Yes, and uh, like building back uh, the bipartisan support is important. The same way, uh, uh, building back the relationship uh, between Israel and Jewish-American is also important. And uh, Tia mentioned the young generation, so especially the young generation. And it's a huge challenge for the new government and I hope they will uh, make it one of their priorities. But think about it, the, the fact that uh, uh, there are people there like Merav Mikhaeli, the leader of the labor, uh, and Nitzan Horowitz, uh, the leader of Meretz, uh, that they are in the government, are making this task uh, more feasible and uh, more doable. But uh, we are all can hope because there is a real mm-hmm crisis between israel and the many parts of the jewish community and the jewish population here here in america
1: okay last last question we're running out of time what's the new foreign policy of the of this new government china russia iran what are we going to see changed
3: first and foremost is the strategic alliance with the United States. Uh, you cannot compare it in any way uh, to the relationship that Israel has with China or with Russia. With China and Russia is more solving problems on the ground, tactical issues. It, it is nothing which is strategic. So the alliance with the United States is number one. And of course, the Iran issue, because doesn't matter if it's a Bibi or if it's Bennett or if it's it's Lapid, it's a matter of consensus in Israel that Israel has one existential threat, and this is Iran. And the policy towards Iran, uh, no matter who is in the government, will actually stay the same. Israel will keep building, on one hand, capabilities to deal with the the Iranian threat no matter what is happening and not counting on anyone else. On the other hand, we are not likely to see any public confrontation over this issue like the one we saw uh, between Netanyahu and Obama. This is not going to happen.
1: Gil Tamari, thank you for joining us on Altamar. We wish you a healthy and safe return to Israel and we'll be bothering you when you're there. Thanks so much.
3: You are more than welcome.
0: Peter, Gil is very excited about a world after BB. What do you think? Do you think this government is going to hold?
1: Look, Gil is the person who has, I've heard, who is most convinced of the possibility of this government holding. And I mean, he listed a number of things, of concrete things such as infrastructure and healthcare that I think, Really is, I guess, the key that Israelis feel that there's a government finally that is not bent on inciting polarization, but that is actually trying to figure out solutions to issues. And I think that's the key to this government. The problem is that, you know, there's so much room for disagreement between these guys, and they're a bunch of old foxes. And so, you know, they're all gonna be out to sort of nip at each other's heels and cut each other down and and, you know, saw, saw the floor around them. So I'm cautiously optimistic, but, you know, the day that this thing implodes, I certainly won't be surprised.
0: See, I'm more skeptical. I think as the public is now kind of united against BB, when these people start to govern and all over the place in terms of ideology, one thing goes wrong and they're going to have the public turn against them. So hopefully that won't happen, but that is definitely a risk. Coalitions are risky all over the world, even in countries like Germany. So I'm a little skeptical, but very interested to follow the story. So thank you for joining us on Altamar. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts on and don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time.